Hey friend, thanks for checking out the Crosspoint Church podcast. It's our hope that these messages will encourage you to grow and thrive in your relationship with Christ. You can find more like this at thecrosspoint.com. Well, we're in the last few parts of our series called Body and Soul, and we've been looking through the book of Colossians, how the gospel and how Jesus loves all parts of us. He loves the parts that are visible. He loves the parts that are inside our emotions and our feelings, and he really loves us body and soul. And so we're kind of finishing this up, and today we're going to primarily focus on verses 18 and 19. We'll get there in just a minute. But have you ever noticed that throughout the seasons of your life, from when you're a kid, you go to college, you get married, you go through these different seasons, and each season has a code of conduct, the way you live your life. So for instance, when I was a kid growing up in the Hartman house, uh, there were eight of us in the household, and so there were things that we could do and couldn't do. And so when the meal was done, you couldn't get up and leave the table and go watch TV. You had to clean up. We didn't have a dishwasher until I was uh, in high school. So guess who the dishwasher were? The kids, yes. So we, everyone had to do their part. There were chores around the farm. And so part of the unspoken rules was everyone helps until the work is done. My brothers and I used to take our 22 rifles out into the woods and shoot small game, and my mom had a rule, no dead animals in the house. So we'd come back with a squirrel or a rabbit. Sorry, Renee. I hope I didn't offend you with the rabbit. Yeah. Uh, but we'd carry our rabbit. She has a pet rabbit, so that's why. But we would carry our small game in, and it was no dead animals in the house. They, that's, that, that's the rule. And then I went to college and ladies, I don't know if you know this, but there is a bro code, all right? This is the unspoken rules before, between bros and buds and dudes, and you're always a good wingman, all right? You're always bragging your buddy up in front of his crush, all right? So if you know he likes a girl, you brag him up. You never date your friend's ex, all right? And number one, you never let a girl come in between your relationship with your buddy, all right? And the bro code worked well until I met my wife, Jess, all right? <laughs> then I said goodbye to the bro code and hello to the wife code, and I've never looked back since. But there's these unspoken rules that we live by depending on who we're around and the environment that we're in. And when it comes to the Colossian church, the letter that Paul's writing, He's writing to people, kind of this fledgling church who were used to living their lives solely by the culture of the Roman culture, the Greco-Roman culture, and it lived a certain way. You do what feels good. You do whatever you want to do. You treat people for your gain, and that was the code of conduct in the Roman culture, and then they met Jesus, and Jesus came into their life. They began to read Paul's letters, the scriptures, and suddenly they're called to a different way of living. The old way, the old life, didn't cut it anymore. They were called to something higher. They were called to the Jesus code. And many of us in this room today are called to that Jesus code. You remember the moment, especially those that were saved as adults, you remember what it was like. You used to live one way, and then you met Jesus, and now that way, like that's the old self, and you're living a different way. That's what Paul is saying. He's writing to this church who is tempted to go back to the old life, and he says, listen, 
this Jesus code, you've got to get it in your heart. And in, in chapters one and two, it begins with this. If you could summarize chapters one and two, it's this. Jesus is over everything in your life. Jesus is number one. He's got to be at the top of your list. And I'll just say this. What we're going to talk about today in verses 18 and 19, if you don't understand that Jesus is over everything, chapter, verses 18 and 19 won't make sense. And maybe there's some today, you're here, you're visiting Crosspoint, you're not a Christian, you're just kind of looking in. I'm glad you're here today, but just know that if Jesus is not everything, then what we're talking about is gonna seem really odd. It's gonna seem like, man, that's kind of, that's not what I'm hearing out at work. That's different. That's because Christians live by a different code. It's the Jesus code. And Jesus is over everything, so we act differently. Colossians 3.2 says it this way, set your minds on things that are above the Jesus way, not on things that are on earth, not, not the way that you used to live. There's something different about you now. And what we see when we start living for Jesus, almost immediately, we start seeing this lived out in our relationships, how we treat one another. You wanna see how far the gospel has got down in your life Look at how you treat other people. Look at how you treat your coworkers and your wife or your husband and your kids and your friends. Look at how you treat them, and that's often a good litmus test at how far the gospel has gotten down, how the Jesus code has changed you. How do I treat my wife and my neighbors? Last week, Pastor Josiah kind of started, uh, he, he took us through this list of things that Paul says to put on. Things like uh, compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. What do they have to do with? They have to do with our interaction with other people. It's all how we handle and how we deal with other people. And yet those things can be kind of abstract. This list of being kind and patient and meek, it's like, am I doing that or am I not doing that? I'm not sure. Am I living out the Jesus code well? And Paul, it would be nice sometimes if Paul just left us in the general terms, but he, took, he takes the corner, he turns the corner, and he goes specifically for some of the closest relationships in our life, the relationships inside our house, inside our homes. He goes for the people that are closest to us. How I treat the people in my home matters a lot to God. How you treat the people in your home matters a lot to God. It's easy for me to put on the pastor's hat and to get up here and say, love your neighbor and love those clothes and be patient and be kind. And it's easy for us to kind of get these ideas as we're in a church sanctuary, but the gospel wasn't just for church sanctuaries. It's for living rooms and kitchen tables and bedrooms. And that's often where we see the gospel lived out is in our real relationships inside our homes. And that's where Paul goes. He says this Jesus code has to get into the closest relationships of your life. And so that's where we're going to go today. Paul takes us inside the house. He brings the gospel in our front door and says, how are you really tangibly going to live this out in your home? And so here's what he says. I'm going to begin reading in verse 16, and I'll, then we'll get to 18 and 19 here. Verse 16 of Colossians 3 let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. 
And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything, so everything you do, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father through him. All right, here we go. Buckle your seatbelts. Here's where he comes in the front door. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. It gets personal, doesn't it? He says, husbands, submit to your wives. Uh, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. I think it's convenient that Pastor Josiah just happened to stop at verse 17 last week. <laughs> he was kindly enough to say, you know what, Josh, I think I'm just gonna leave 18 and 19 for you today. I, Pastor Dave, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in life group discussion tonight. It, we could, it could be a doozy. Man, why do we recoil so much when we hear wives submit to your husbands? We recoil because in America, we love our rights. We love our freedoms, and we can't stand when someone tells us to do something we don't wanna do. When Paul uses the word submit here, he says this, it's giving up, it's this idea of giving up your individual right for the sake of something greater. It's the idea of laying down your rights for the sake of your family, for the sake of what God wants to do through your marriage and in your marriage. And ladies, oftentimes when you hear the word submit, maybe there's a wife in here, a lady in here, and you hear the word submit, maybe you think of the word submit and submission like my brothers and I did growing up. It didn't take us long. Anytime we were doing anything and someone ticked another brother off, we would always end in the Royal Rumble, all right? So it didn't matter what we were doing. It didn't take long before we were on the ground wrestling it out. One time, my brother Aaron and I were sent out to sweep the porch, and within five minutes, I had broken the broom handle over his back. That's what it always seemed to happen to with the brothers. Maybe you can relate. And we would wrestle and we'd be duking it out. And the wrestling match ended only when one person did what? No, not die. No. <laughs> we weren't savages. Yeah, tapped out. Yes. It ended when one of us tapped out. And we said, okay, 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 I give up. And this idea of submission, I hated it because it meant I lost. I had to give in. I wasn't strong enough. And sometimes we think of words submit in marriage like that. We see the word submit and we think it's something that is taken, something that is through force and coerced. So it's no wonder if we think submission is this defeat and it's losing and it's giving up, it's no wonder that we would balk at it. It's no wonder we'd say, no way, I don't want anything to do with it. It's no wonder that in our culture we go out and we get divorce-proof prenups because I'm looking out for number one. I'm not gonna lose this thing. I'm looking out for me. But when Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands, he's not saying defeat He's saying it's victory. He's not saying it's something that is taken, but it's something, wives, that you can give. Paul is not giving us the image of submission as a marital UFC cage fight. 
All right, he's not saying, you know what, a husband and the wife, man, they're just duking it out and someone, just waiting for someone to tap out or to walk out or to lawyer up. That's not what he's saying here. Instead of a cage fight, Paul is giving us the image of a symphony. And he's saying, you know what, this idea of submission in a godly marriage, this idea of two spirit-filled people coming together and the wife saying, you know what, I'm gonna submit to your authority as the husband. It's like a symphony. In a symphony orchestra, you have all these professional musicians who each one of them are talented, have practice, have skill, and each one of them could get up and do a solo performance and be amazing. And yet in a symphony, what do they do? They submit themselves to the tempo and the pace of the conductor. And as they submit their skill to what's best for the orchestra, instead of chaos with all these people just playing solos, you have this beautiful music that is made. There's probably a saxophone player in there that says, but I just want to be heard. I want to play my parts. But if the saxophone player doesn't realize his place, then you don't get to hear the flute and the strings and the guy playing the triangle. Paul says submission looks a lot like that. For the sake of the bigger picture, for the sake of this marriage and for the sake of what God is doing in our home, there is this submission that comes. Paul's not not preaching some caveman theology here. He's not saying that men get whatever they want whenever they want it. If that is the way you've heard this preached, that is not correct. Paul's not saying that. He's not saying that it's just this coercive thing that women have no rights. He's not saying that women are inferior, that they can't express themselves, that they can't lead, that they have to be passive in the relationship. What Paul is saying is that, yes, there is an authority by the husband, but that is an authority that is covered in sacrificial love that is looking out. And we're gonna look at that in just a moment. And just a quick note on this, The Bible does not give us specific details of what submission looks like in the marriage, and that's on purpose. The Bible doesn't say that, hey, this means that the husband must work and he must manage the finances and the wife must stay at home and she must take care of the kids. It doesn't say that. It doesn't, because those are preferences. What you decide between your spouse and who's going to do what, that's preferences. And preferences are negotiable, but scripture is not. Let me say that again. Preferences in the marriage are negotiable, but scripture is not. And so who's going to work outside the home? Does the wife work outside the home? That's something you guys get to decide. Are the kids gonna go to daycare? That's something that the husband and wife decide. Does the toilet paper go over the roll or under the roll? (laughs) Over, of course it does, it does. First service, yes, I'm glad we all agree here. That's not even an issue. Those are preferences, aren't they? I know couples where the wife, I was talking to a couple the other day and she, she was so excited on Sunday because she was telling me all about the new power tools that she had gotten. She got a new saw and she was out, man, just ripping wood and cutting and building things. I know other guys in the church, in their marriage, they do all the cooking because they love to cook. Those are preferences. 
And if there's a, a guy that ever says, hey, this is the way, this is the way we're gonna do it in my house because this is the way my father and mother did it, that person is elevating preferences over the word of God. And that is a man whose ego has not been surrendered to the cross. Inside a godly marriage, those are preferences that can be negotiated. When it comes down to trusting the leadership, that's what Paul is saying here. Jess and I just celebrated 18 years of marriage last week. Praise God for that. And in those 18 years, there have been countless times where we have talked about things and we've been going through a decision and Jess has come to me and says, hey, I feel in my gut that we should go this way, that we should do this thing. And guess what? I listen to her and I submit to her because she is a godly woman, a woman. She is in the word. She prays. She's a co-heir with Christ. She hears from God. And I know that if Jess feels it, that God has spoken to her. So many times throughout the years, there's been times where Jess has said something and I'm like, we're doing that. I trust you. God's been speaking to you. I've prayed about it and he's confirmed that. You're right. We're doing that. And over those 18 years, maybe two or three times in 18 years, I've said, I hear you, but I really feel we need to do this. I hear what you're saying, but I really believe we're gonna do this. Two or three times in 18 years. And what is beautiful is that in those moments, my wife has said, I'm going to trust you because God has given you the role of head of this household. I'm gonna trust you and I'm gonna submit to that. Her submission is not in response to me getting it right all the time. Her submission is in response to she said yes to Jesus first and so she's going to submit to God's word through this. And guess what? When my wife says, hey, I'm gonna trust you, honey, it does not feel, fill me with arrogance and pride. I don't sit there and say, oh, that's right. You better, you better submit to me. Uh-huh. No, you know what it does? It actually drives me to the cross. It drives me to my knees. It makes me realize the weight of this godly responsibility put on my shoulders. It's not something that makes me arrogant or, e or egotistical. If it would, then I had missed the gospel. I've missed what Jesus is getting at. It drives me to him and saying, I better tune my heart into Jesus because I'm responsible for my wife and my kids, and that's a big deal. And in those moments, what's so beautiful is my wife submits in these few times and says, hey, I'm gonna trust you. It makes me a better leader because I didn't have to take it by force. It was a gift that she gave. She said, I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna follow you. Again, it wasn't because I was perfect. Ladies, wives, God doesn't say submit to your, your husbands because they know what they're doing all the time and they're gonna get it right all the time. No way, we're flawed, we're gonna mess up. But God says submit because there is this leadership, there is this beautiful moment when the wives submit and the husbands love. All right, enough with the ladies, let's get to the men, all right? Verse 19, here's what it says. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. I would love this more, it would be easier if it said, husbands, lead your wives. 
Or husbands, protect your wives. Or husbands, provide for your wives. Or husbands, go out and get your wife something nice so that you can do what you want to do. That's not what it says. It says, husbands, love your wife. Husbands, love your wife. And I think why this is so hard sometimes is because for most guys I know, we don't struggle with being in charge. We're good at being in charge. We're in charge at work. We're in charge over people uh, in in our daily lives. And so we're good at this, I'm in charge. What we struggle with is this self-sacrificing love. What we struggle with is the kind of love that puts our wives above our own feelings that says, I'm gonna do what you need. I'm gonna care for your heart. That's harder. There's not a guy in the room today that wouldn't take a bullet for their wife. I hope not, all right? There's not a guy here that wouldn't say, man, I I would take a bullet for my wife. I would do anything for her. And that's because most of us, we are good at that protecting, that leading. I was talking to a guy the other day and he said, man, I've started working out of town and going out of town more on business trips, so I got the best security system I can and I've got cameras and locks and I can, from my phone, I can do it all. And, and, and his heart was good. He was saying, I want my wife to be protected and that is very noble and that's part of what God has called us to do. But listen, guys, husbands, we need to be more than our wife's bodyguard. We need to be more than just good at protecting. Love goes farther than that. That's included in love, but it's more of what Paul is calling us to. The word that he uses here, he says, love your wives. It's the root word agape or agapeo. It is this word that is used when Jesus of, of God, when it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's a love that cares, of the object of the love, that cares more about the object than about themselves. It's the love that Ephesians and Paul, uh, Ephesians 5, Paul says this. He says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Just as Proverbs 31 is the model for a Christian wife, guys, we have a model. Husbands, we have a model, and his name is Jesus. That's the model for us. That's what he calls us to. In John chapter 13, we see this. Jesus was with his disciples, and his disciples, uh, they're kind of arguing over who's going to ride shotgun in Jesus' ministry, who's important, and they're getting all caught up on rights. His disciples are, no, I have the right. No, I should do this. And Jesus quietly picks up a towel and begins to wash the feet of his disciples. That's the kind of love that Paul is saying here. He says, husbands, it's the kind of love that puts your wife's needs before you. This is hard. Again, sometimes I feel like it's easier to take a bullet than to spend two hours watching a Jane Austen chick flick. (laughs) Sometimes I'd rather take a bullet than even having a 30-minute heartfelt conversation where I'm actually talking about what I feel. Or maybe I'd rather take a bullet than arrange babysitting and take my wife out for a romantic dinner. Sometimes we just get in the grind and we forget that the kind of love Paul is talking about is a love that says, I see you. I see you and you matter to me. 
You see, when we do that, husbands, it's not that hard for wives to submit to a husband like that. And I'm not saying we're perfect, and I don't wanna make people say, like, man, I got beat over the head today, and I'm a terrible husband or I'm a terrible wife, but this is the dance. It's what C.S. Lewis calls the great dance. He said that if two people, if, if my wife and I were up here and we were doing a dance side by side, then we could do our own moves, and I could bring my right foot out and my left foot out while she's doing that, and we could do our own things, but if we were to dance together, If I bring my right foot up, she's got to go back. And it's this dance of submission and love. And when done in the heart of Jesus, when Jesus is Lord over everything and the wives say, I'm going to submit to you because I trust your leadership. And that's what God has called me to. And husbands say, why? I'm going to put you above everything. This is the way Jesus led. And so when it says husbands, yes, it does say husbands, submit to your uh, wives, submit to your husband's authority. But you'll have to get when he says husbands, love your wives, he's saying, love your wives like Jesus. Jesus, who had the ultimate authority. And how did he wield his authority? He washed people's feet. He served. He gave his life. Here's what's really amazing in this text. I've heard people use this text to condone egotistical kind of men dominating the marriage. I've heard people say, oh, the Bible, man, it just degrades women, and it's just all about the men. When you understand what Paul is saying here to the culture he's writing to, He's writing to a Roman culture. He's writing to people who were used to living in a Greco-Roman culture. Guess how many rights and guess how much power women had in the families in these days? About zero. They were assets treated like property. They were really, they weren't involved in decision making. Were just something else that the husband owned. And then Jesus comes into these families that once acted like that, Jesus comes in and begins to change them. And he says, yes, wives, there is a submission. But now, husbands, you treat your wife like she's the most important person in your life. This was radical. It was countercultural. To say that, that the Bible oppresses women, you've missed the whole point of what Paul is saying here. You've missed the heart of Jesus. Jesus elevates women in this place. And so this is truly remarkable. When I see now as a Christian man, I look and above my kids, above my in-laws, above my bros is my wife. Jesus is my king, but Jess is my queen. She is my queen, and that's how Jesus has called me to treat her. You talk about elevating women's rights, that's the gospel. And if anyone has ever preached this text to you and said, hey, this is what it's, it's, you need to get in line, and you need to serve your man and do whatever he wants, that's not the gospel. You serve by laying your life down. That's what he's called us to Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. The Jesus code begins to erode the self-centeredness. It begins to break down this, this desire for me. As the band comes, oftentimes uh, why this feels 
so different to us. Why sometimes we can read these verses and they feel like such an affront to us is because we live in such a consumer world and we're used to consumer relationships. You know what, I, I, I'm loyal to Snooks until Deerberg's runs a sale, all right? Like Snooks has my business until I go in and say, I'm not paying that. And then Snooks no longer means anything in my life at that point. That's a consumer relationship. I'm going I'm to stay here until I find something better. And the world has pushed that thinking into marriage. It has pushed that thinking into our hearts. And it says, hey, marriage is about you, and you stay just long enough to get what you want, and if you can't find what you want, go find it somewhere else. What we see throughout the Bible, when God talks about marriage, it's covenantal. It's covenant. This idea of a covenant marriage is your rights are more important than mine. Now, when I say that, that can come across like, well, well, what if, what if they abuse me? Or what if I get hurt? Or what if they trample me? And that's true. There are some risk in a covenant marriage. When you say your rights above mine, but it's the way of Jesus. And I'm not saying at all, hear me in this. I'm not saying to stay in a harmful environment. If you're in a relationship, you're in a marriage, ladies or men, and there is abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse, you need to get help. You need to call the police. You need to get out of that. God never calls us to stay in harmful relationships and harmful marriages, but he calls us to stay in hard relationships and hard marriages. And covenantal marriage says, I'm for you. I'm gonna serve you. Even when I don't want to, I'm gonna serve you. It's what... Timothy Keller calls gospel reenactment. I know some Civil War reenactors, and they live out the battles that happened in the 1800s, and they dress up in the costume, and they get their muskets, and they go out on the, the battlefield, and they smell the smells of gunpowder, and they hear the, the cannons go off, and they hear the horses, and what does it do? It brings an event that happened hundreds of years ago, and it makes it real in that moment. They reenact it. Timothy Keller says, that's what happens in a marriage of submission and love. It takes the event of the cross that happened 2,000 years ago and it brings it into reality, into the everyday moments of our lives. You see, the purpose of marriage is not fairness. It's not happiness. The purpose of marriage is to reenact the gospel every day through little things that we do. Wives, when you submit, when you say, I'm gonna follow your leadership, you're reenacting Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane on his knees saying, Father, your will be done and not my own. Husbands, when we put our wives' needs above our own, we're reenacting Jesus with the towel, washing the feet of his disciples who would not be faithful, who would lie, who would kind of betray him. 
So when we reenact the gospel in our marriages, we're saying, I want to act like Jesus acted towards me. That's what Paul is calling us to here. He's saying that this is not a power play. This is not something to control someone. This is something beautiful that you are living in a marriage that is honoring Jesus Christ and you're living like Jesus every day in your marriage. And this is hard and this is what Paul calls us to do. But it only can happen if Jesus is Lord of your life. Ephesians says in, a, in the companion passage to this, he says, before he goes into husbands and wives, he says, you must be filled with the Spirit. This will not work if Jesus is not Lord and you're not living for him. It's gonna be an affront to you unless you can say, I've surrendered my life to Jesus. I've given it to him. That's when we can submit and love the way Jesus has. So what does this look like? Well, it's gonna be hard. Marriage is hard, even the best marriage. It's gonna be hard, but like he said in verse 16, you need to be in the word and you need to be in prayer and you need to surround yourself in a community. I can't do this by myself. I need my life group guys that can hold me accountable, that if they're over at my house and they see me treating my kids or my wife in a certain way, they're gonna call me out on it. That's accountability. We need that. We need that in our life. We need to gather together and pray. We need to keep focusing our hearts. We need to keep laying down our rights. This is hard. This is especially hard if you're in a marriage here today where your spouse is not serving the Lord. This is tough because it's hard enough with two spirit-filled, gospel-centered people and then you have one spouse that is not serving Jesus. This is hard, and all I can say, there's a lot to it we could go into, but again, God never called you to stay in a harmful relationship, but maybe he has you in a hard relationship to be a witness to Jesus, to reenact the cross, to say, man, Jesus had it hard too, and he served and he gave, and so I'm gonna do that in this marriage. Finally, as we close, uh, I just wanna to speak to those that may be divorced or maybe you're single in the room and a message like this is hard because it kind of rehashes either that you've had a failed marriage or that you aren't married and you wish you were married. Can I just say this, that marriage on its best day is still just a foreshadow of what it's gonna be like when we have the marriage supper with the lamb when we are in, when the bride, or when the groom comes for the bridegroom. That's what it says, that one day Jesus is coming back for all of us, and we're gonna celebrate, and we are known as the bridegroom of Jesus Christ. And that's gonna be an awesome day, because it really was all about Jesus in the first place. And so we've gotta be careful that we don't idolize marriage and put marriage above Jesus. And so if you're here and you're single, you're divorced, you're going through that, know that, that marriage isn't the ultimate goal anyways. God doesn't say, you've really arrived when you get married. Now it's a beautiful thing, but it's an earthly institution. One day, marriage is gonna be dissolved and we're gonna be in heaven with Jesus. And he's gonna take that place that the husband was here. But he calls us, and so we just have to be careful that we don't 
look to marriage, that if I get married, that's going to eliminate my problems. If I just find the right person and marry them, that's going to make life. You've got to remember, it's all about Jesus. Marriage is great, but it can never substitute for Jesus. Jesus is our goal. It's the cross. He's what he's done. And so when we keep our eyes on Jesus, even when we walk through painful things like divorce, you don't lose hope because you still have Jesus. Even if you're single and you wanted to be married and you're not married yet, you still have Jesus. And so that is good news for you. So remember that. So as we, as we pray today, I just want to encourage you, maybe if you're a, a married couple in here, maybe God has just been speaking to you something that you can say, you know what, I need to change. Maybe it's an apology. Maybe later today or later this week you say, honey, I just need to apologize. I haven't led this home the way Christ wanted me to. Or maybe there's a wife that says, honey, man, I've been getting out ahead and I've been just kind of subverting your leadership and kind of, uh, man, I, I, need to, I need to say I'm sorry. Whatever it is, I'd encourage you to listen to the Holy Spirit. God has a beautiful design for marriage. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the cross. God, I thank you so much that you modeled everything you've called us to do. You modeled submission. You submitted your will to your Father. You loved us with a sacrificing love that took you to the cross. And so you aren't calling any wife or any husband or any Christian in the room to do anything that you haven't done first. And so if we feel like this is unattainable, we can't do it, we can look to you and we can pray for strength because you live inside of us. Your spirit lives inside of us. And so that's what we need. As we talk about godly submission and godly love, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Today, would you help those that may have experienced some heartbreak in their life concerning marriage or family? And today, there's some really deep wounds God, the, the church can't heal it, a spouse can't heal it, but Jesus, you can heal those wounds. And that's what I pray, Jesus, you be present. Let them feel your presence right now in that wound, and the wound may still be there, but they feel the presence of Jesus. God, would you minister to them now? And Lord, for this church, we wanna look to you. You've called all of us to love and submit and, and live out the code of Jesus, so help us Get this into our hearts. Let us cement the idea that Jesus is Lord over everything. God, we thank you for this. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us. You can check out thecrosspoint.com for more resources like this.